following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. I, I've said this so many times over the years, and I, I, my goodness, over 18 years, I guess now, and uh, I wish everybody, I wish every one of you had the opportunity to stand out here and look at these faces, and it is just such a joy. It is an absolute joy um, to be here. I, I want to show just a little video in a moment here. Um, <laughs> you know I love movies, and this is from a, a, a movie that uh, some uh, one of the critics said at the end of the movie, uh, every man went running to a telephone to call their father. A movie called Field of Dreams. And uh, Kevin Costner and the great James Earl Jones. And it, this is a scene where, long story, too long to tell you, but uh, Ray Kinsella, Kevin Costner, has been on a mission, kind of sort of kidnapped James Earl Jones and got him to go to a ball game at Fenway Park in Boston. And uh, James Earl Jones had been this 1960s act- activist and uh, writer and you know, just the protest guy of the 60s. Um, I knew those guys. And maybe I was one. I'm not sure. But anyway, please watch and pay attention to this. <laughs> I love that scene. Well, what do you want? You know, he's asking, he asks us simple questions, and he gets this deep dive from James Earl Jones about everything that his, his life has been and, and all of these other things. And, and I, it got me thinking. I was thinking about this thing all week and, uh, and just how much um, often, too often, we do the same thing. And I call it overthinking the question. We overthink the question. Sometimes the question is very simple. And yet we feel like we have to give this great long spiritual answer to it somehow. Um, and often people just want to know what you want. And I guess the question is, what does this have to do with Genesis chapter 29 and 30? <laughs> and uh, probably nothing. But I hope something. That's going to be up to you. But my week to preach, this week to preach, um, the more I read and the more I studied and the more 
I learned from this passage, which is pretty lengthy today, from chapter 29, verse 31, all the way over to chapter 30, verse 24. It's, um, it was a great deep dive into it. Learned a lot of things. But then I also caught myself thinking, am I missing the obvious? Am I overthinking the question? And I think we do that sometimes. In our quest to be deep, we sometimes miss what God has right on the surface for us. The obvious lessons that God has for us. Sometimes we just need to step back. And as I realized I was overthinking the question sometimes, I found myself asking, what is God saying to me right now out of this that I need to know in order to love him and to faithfully serve him in a greater way? What's the obvious lesson here? So I want us to, before we even look at this passage right now, I want, I want us to take a moment and just pray. And I want, you, I want us each in our own hearts and minds to say, okay, God, you show me. Show me whatever it is. If it's obvious, some obvious lesson I need to know. As I walk out of here today, we've heard some wonderful challenges already. And now we'll hear from God's word as well. And I hope there's a wonderful challenge in here for you. I hope you don't overthink the question. God, just speak to us. No matter how obvious and simple it may be. And God, shame on us for sometimes writing off the simple. Of not just listening to your still small voice. For sometimes spending so much time analyzing and speculating and, and not just listening to what you have for us. God, when you tell us to love one another, we don't have to tear that verse apart. It's pretty obvious what you mean. Don't let us use a deep dive to avoid the obvious voice. But then, God, when we do deep dive, oh, the depth of the riches of your word come alive to us. Father, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for these people here and for this moment that we get to spend looking at a really, really wild story. <laughs> I thank you and I praise you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we dive into this, some of you, I mean, you, you've been here over these weeks and as we have progressed through this story, and uh, most recently seeing how J Jacob went off to find a wife. 
And he saw this beautiful woman, Rachel, and he fell in love. And he was willing, I mean, so he goes to the father, Laban, and he says, fine, you can have her, but it'll take seven years. You got to serve me for seven years. Now I'm thinking, this is quite a woman. Seven years he's willing to give up for her. And he does it. And at the end of seven years, of course, Rachel's father deceives him. And let's put it bluntly because the scripture says it. They consummate the marriage, but the next morning he wakes up and it ain't Rachel. It's Leah. I keep wanting to say Leah, but that's Star Wars. Leah. Um, and... And he and so now he, now he's furious, which is funny, because Jacob the deceiver, remember the blessing, Jacob the deceiver was just out deceived, so he couldn't really be terribly offended. He was a master at deception, and so Laban says, "Oh, you want Rachel? Sorry, but it's the custom we give away the first child first so but he agrees to another seven years you can have Rachel if you'll serve another seven years but they have their marriage the next week which is really interesting isn't it you come home from your honeymoon ladies and your husband goes out for the afternoon comes back and says, hey, I've got another wife. Deal with it. Different times. Maybe. And then the kids start coming, and that's where we pick up in chapter, 30, uh, chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, and, and the scholars differ on this, uh, it, it's not really maybe that she wasn't loved, that's a possibility, but there's also a possibility, just kind of a degree of love. That, you know, Jacob loved her to a point, but nothing like he loved Rachel. There was always going to be this chasm in his affection. And so when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. God had mercy and compassion on Leah. But Rachel remained childless. Childless. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben and said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Now, we don't know what that means for sure either, other than some scholars say, man, she, she had a really hard life. Like maybe she was not very beautiful. Maybe she was just not... A very uh, attractive personality or whatever it might be but somehow her life was misery her life was misery she became pregnant named him Reuben it's because God has seen my misery surely my husband will love me now What a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to try to base a relationship on. 
Says, she's saying, you know, he doesn't love me, but maybe if I give him a child, he'll love me. Any love, any relationship, and you guys know this for sure, any relationship that's based on if or because, not a good relationship. Love has to be an unconditional love. And Rachel had that affection from Jacob. Leah gives birth again to Simeon and then third child in, chapter, in verse 34 to Levi. These names starting to sound familiar at all? Reuben, Simeon, Levi. And then she conceived again in verse 35. And when she gave birth to the son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Judah. Remember that name. Remember that name because it is so significant. Well, how many of you are old enough to remember a, a TV series? I think it was in the, the 60s called Peyton Place. Anybody remember Peyton Place? All right. How many of you are not admitting that you ever watched Peyton Place? <laughs> Peyton Place was like, this was scandalous for that time. You know, everybody was kind of running around with everybody else. And uh, it, it was just a mess. Well, this story, to me, is a Peyton Place story. This gets so wild and crazy in, in our eyes, doesn't it? Leah gives birth to four sons. And then down in chapter 30, it says that... that, that well, let's start chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. Rachel, the one who was the beautiful one who had Jacob's affection, she was now jealous of her sister because her sister was bearing children. And she said to Jacob, I love this, give me children or I'll die. Jacob, get your act together. And Jacob goes, ain't my fault. Am I God? And here's where it gets really weird. Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family. So Bilhah, Rachel's servant, bears two children, Dan and Naphtali. Well, Leah, not to be topped, what does she do? When Leah saw in verse 9, saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore a, Jacob a son named Gad and then another named Asher. So now we're up to, man, I've lost count. How many... Kids, is that? And then, to, then Leah, through this whole thing with uh, uh, Rachel, kind of a negotiation that they work out, she ends up pregnant again. Leah, in verse 19, conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor. She's still seeking 
She's still seeking the affection through giving and through giving children. Because I have borne him six sons. She named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth. This gets crazy. A daughter, Dinah, right? She had ten sons so far. And now Dinah, a, a girl. Did any of you girls, any of you ladies grow up in a family with all brothers? All brothers? Okay. I think you should thank God for that, probably. Um, some of you know that Judy and I have five sons. And um, when we got married, we were going to have two children. We were going to have a boy and a girl. Uh, we had the boy, so the next was going to be a girl. It turned out to be twin boys. And our family planning was shot. So we kept going. People said, why? We said, we don't know. Um, we had a fourth boy. Oh, that's him back there. And we said, we got to do better than that. That's going to come back to haunt me. You know it is. You know it is. So we're, we're, she's pregnant with our fifth. And we're sure this is going to be a girl. You know, we had all the girl names picked out. And um, then we thought, wait a minute. Would that even be fair to bring a girl into a family with four older brothers? Either be the biggest tomboy in Walnut, Illinois, or the most protected girl ever. Um, and I think about that when I read this, that Dinah comes along with ten brothers. Ten brothers. Verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son, which... It's an interesting prayer. It's a great story. And as I said, we could do a deep dive into so many parts of this story. When you look uh, down the line, you look at the story of, of Levi. And, and we are going to see so much about Joseph and Judah. My, uh, my favorite because Judah bore... Uh, by the way, you look down Judah's lineage and you see names like Caleb, David, oh, this, this, this carpenter named Jesus, what a story, and more. But is there anything we're missing in this, anything that is obvious, lessons uh, reminders that we need to pull out of this, and I think there are. And this is not the, this is not on the slides. I completely changed it. Um, <laughs> I want to just share with you like five or six quick things here. To me, this story is a reminder of our sinful nature and our human frailty. Our sinful nature. Listen, none of these people are perfect. None of these people are perfect. There are no perfect people. Only one person in the whole history of mankind has been perfect. Only one person in the whole story of the Bible has ever been perfect. And we killed him. Tried to. 
This is a story of jealousy, of deception, of misguided, selfish pursuits. Just like us. Even those of us who claim long lives with Jesus battle with that sin nature and with choices between following our wants and our desires and our needs and choosing Jesus. So it's a reminder of our sin and and nature and our human frailty. It's also a reminder of the folly of, of trying to fabricate love, joy, peace, fulfillment apart from Christ. What was Leah trying to do? She was trying to earn love. It wasn't real love. Thinking that a child would gain the love of a man. It's also a reminder of that all of us, from the greatest to the least, we're all works in progress, aren't we? How many of you know that you have arrived where God wants you to be? You are the man, you are the woman, you are the teenager, you are what you know Christ wants you to be. I'm so far from it, it's like this tip on the distant horizon. And I've been walking with Christ for 45 years. And there are days I feel like an absolute spiritual pygmy. But we're all works in progress. That's the good news. That's what Paul says in Philippians 1. We're just all confident of this, that he who began a good work in you By the way, you're good works. You are good works. And God will continue that work in you. Leah started out, I think we see her growth when she gets finally to uh, Judah and she says, now, now I will praise him. Just a work in progress. And when you understand that, and when you accept that, you will be a lot, you will have a lot more peace and joy in your life, knowing that, yes, I messed up. I did it again, like Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I seem to do. Man, what a wretched mess I am. And God says, it's okay. I love you. And God wraps his arms around us and holds us and doesn't let go. See, I have you engraved in the palm of my hand. I love that verse. It's a reminder that all of us are works in progress. And because of that, it's a reminder that God uses whomever he chooses to accomplish his plans and his purposes. God, 
It's, it's a wonderful thing, but guess what? God can use us. Us sinful, sometimes confused, sometimes messed up human beings. God can use us. And God will use us. And God is using us. You have no idea how much God is using you. Judy and I have been learning that. That everywhere you have stepped, everywhere this church steps, you are blessing people. More than you know. As long as you are being faithful in the walk. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world to, and, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Man, us messed up human beings, God chose us. He chose us. I often think of, of the calling of those first disciples. And who did he go to? A bunch of smelly fishermen. These weren't high society folks. These weren't brilliant scholars. They were fishermen. And despised tax collectors. And on down the line. But at a wonderful Wonderful reminder that God chooses whomever he chooses to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Think of this story, this messed up Peyton Place story. And guess what? The promise of Abraham to Jesus runs right on through that line. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Because you stumbled and you fell. Never give up. One more. That is this reminder that above all, God is a God of compassion and grace and mercy and love. Psalm 103, let me read just a couple verses. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow in anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God, God's grace extended to you. If you're feeling beaten, if you feel like you have failed, if you feel like, like you have just plain fallen, Reach out your hands to God's grace. And I close with this, that all these things that I have mentioned, all of this should fill our hearts and our minds and our spirits with gratitude 
and should also fuel in us a passion to go into all the world and make disciples. Now that world may start in your backyard or with your next door neighbors. Or it may take us around the world. But we have the greatest message ever to take to the... It's not good news. It's incredible news. It's wonderful news. It's news that is unmatched in all of mankind. The story of the gospel. The story of our God who is hope. This wonderful hope. This one hope. This living hope. It's the obvious story here. Father, You have, you have blessed us beyond anything we could hope or dream. God, I pray that we would never, ever lose sight of the simplicity of faith. God, you know us. We tend to try to complicate things. Lord, keep it simple. To know your love and your grace, and your mercy. To know the simple truth that you died for us because you love us so much and you rose again to conquer death and you're coming again and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.